Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. Welcome to our Sunday service. We are so glad that you are joining us today. And we are in in the middle of a three-week series on pleasing God. And so this will be the uh, final week on that. And we are going to be talking about kingdom transformation. And just as a quick recap, um, for those who've been listening, we've been using Romans 12, 1 as our anchor. So we've been talking about the, the passage that says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so today I want to dive a little more into this idea of transformation that we hear about in this passage And just as a super quick recap, the first week we talked about really pursuing God and why it matters that we follow him and listen to his authority and then what that looks like in our lives. And we talked about, um, you know, understanding that we, we start with what God has put in our hands. We start with what we know he says in his word and through prayer. Um, and then really talked about the daily yeses, the little yeses building on each other. Um, and in fact, I would encourage you if you are someone who during this series, maybe, or just in your life in the last few weeks or months, if you have a story to share of, of a little yes that you've made, um, that, that you feel like you're, you want support, you want encouragement, um, or just to share a victory of that and what God's doing in your life, please share that with me, share that with someone else here, um, because we definitely help each other and support one another in those yeses and building that, um, that obedience to God. So I would challenge you to share that with someone else. And then last week, we talked a little bit about obstacles to obedience, and we said it's not about living in guilt or, or shame or feeling like we have to strive to make God happy, but it's about understanding the obstacles so that we are better prepared to respond to them, uh, because it's so important that we are focusing our eyes on Jesus. Um, and I feel like it would be inappropriate for me to talk about obstacles to obedience and then not talk about the outcomes of our, of our obedience. Sorry, not, it would be um, wrong of me to talk about um, the obstacles to obedience without focusing also on the outcomes of our obedience. Because sometimes I think we need a vision of what God can do in and through us when we say yes to him. Sometimes we need that vision, that reminder of the beauty that God produces through our yes. And last week, you may remember, I kind of ended with this idea of the caterpillar and how the caterpillar goes through this metamorphosis season and becomes this amazing butterfly. But I was thinking about it for myself, and I thought, you know, I know caterpillars just instinctively make their cocoon and they go about their business and the transformation happens. But if I were a caterpillar with my human brain, you know, and I'm going around just doing my daily thing, munching on my leaves, um, and then someone said, hey, you're supposed to build yourself this cocoon. And it's going to be, you know, small and dark and uh, you're not going to be able to move. And you're going to be in there for, you know, for weeks. And if someone told me that, I'd be like, yeah, no, 
yeah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, that sounds pretty terrible. I'm just going to keep doing my thing as a caterpillar because you'd have to be crazy to get me into this little cocoon thing, right? But if someone were to tell me, hey, yeah, you're going to go through that season of darkness but then you're gonna end up in this beautiful new life. You're gonna be this beautiful butterfly. And I think sometimes in the same way, we need this reminder when we, when we choose to obey God, when we choose to look at the obstacles and, and weigh out the cost of following him, we need to have a vision so that we know that following God is worth it and to see what it will produce in us. Um, it's this, this idea of God opening our eyes to see his kingdom and to see what he wants to do. And it reminds me of the story of Elisha from the Old Testament. Um, and you can find this in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, 16 through 17. But Elisha was a prophet, and he would, he would talk to the people and tell them messages from God. And, and Elisha had a servant and, who worked closely with him. And at one point, um, the king of Aram was really frustrated with, with Elisha, was trying to find him and capture him. And so the story, um, in this story, we see that Elisha and his servant are in the city, and they are surrounded now by enemies. And Elisha's servant is understandably panicked. He's like, this is not good. We are completely surrounded. There's no way out of this. Um, and this is what the, the prophet Elisha says to his servant. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And it's this cool moment um, in this story where basically um, Elisha is asking for his servant to see a kingdom beyond the one that's physical and to realize that even though they seem surrounded that in God's kingdom, they are actually, um, they actually are, are totally fine that God is taking care of them. And that's my prayer for us, is that God, as God transforms us, that he begins to open our eyes to his kingdom all around us. And this kingdom has different values than the world that we're in right now. And that's what we're talking about with this passage. We're not conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're transformed. John 3, 3 says, uh, Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus, I believe. And he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And we hear this word born again, and I think we have sort of, a, you know, a lot of different ideas of what born again means. I, I remember when I was in high school, I had some friends who, who really thought born again Christians were like hateful, judgmental, terrible people. And I, I pray that that concept of, of Christians and born again Christians changes. But, but really the idea of born again is, is goes along with that caterpillar analogy, right? We're born into this physical world, but in order for us to see God's kingdom, we have to be reborn, almost like that butterfly is reborn and we are reborn into a living hope through Christ and then we're able to see this kingdom and this world and the values that God has for us and I love that this is the picture that God has for us when we say yes to him and really the relationship 
with God is the simplest yes. It's the, it's the smallest yes that we can start with him. And I think sometimes we can overcomplicate this, but, but really beginning to see God's kingdom and beginning to say yes to him starts with the simple yes of, of okay, God, yes, I believe you're there. Yes, I, I believe you exist, and I don't really know what you want from me maybe yet, but I believe that as I trust you, as I pray to you, you're going to answer, you're going to respond. Um, and so I would encourage you, if you have not started a relationship with God or you don't really know where to go, hey, start with that yes. Start with, okay, God, I believe you're here. Please show me more of yourself. And when we do that, we're going to find ourselves with eyes to see a different kingdom. And this may be a little bit like uh, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. We're going to say... I don't think I'm in Kansas anymore, right? We're, we're going to realize that we're in a different kingdom than the world. And the more we understand God's heart and his kingdom, the more we begin to pray for his kingdom to exist more and more on this earth. Matthew 6.10 uh, is part of the Lord's Prayer, which many of us know. And it, it says, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to transform us so that we have eyes to see his kingdom and hands that participate in creating his kingdom on earth. Because I really believe that when we pray for God's will to be done on earth and his kingdom to come here as it is in heaven, um, we're inviting God to reign in us. We're inviting God to reign in our church and the church at large. And when we do that, wherever God is allowed to reign, we see the fruit of his kingdom. And we also see justice flourish because obedience and justice really go hand in hand. In fact, um, I think injustice exists in the gap between uh, the world's version of values and God's version of values in his kingdom. And so justice exists when God's kingdom reigns and dwells here on earth. And I think even we look at the past week of events and what's happening in Afghanistan and what's happening in Haiti and some of these um, people who are clearly living in, in the world's mindset of power and, um, and just evil that is reigning. And so we can see what happens when people live fully and uh, pursuing the, the patterns of this world. But we can also see what happens when people choose to live by the values of the kingdom, the values that people may not appreciate here on earth. So I was thinking of people um, that remind me who live by uh, the rules of a different world. And I, I thought of people like uh, Susan B. Anthony and Martin Luther King Jr. Were, were two people that came to mind. Now, Susan B. Anthony, if you don't know, she was someone who um, was a, an abolitionist, actually, but she also was a strong uh, proponent of the women's rights movement. And uh, she it wasn't just this flimsy um, you know, whim that she was following. She firmly believed that all people are created equally in the image of God. And that belief in a value system of heaven, of God's, God's kingdom, drove her to pursue equality for women in, in all areas of life. And particularly, she fought for the right for women to vote. And what's interesting is she actually was arrested for voting uh, before women were, were allowed to vote. But she believed so strongly in, in, this, in this value system from another kingdom that she was willing to pursue that, even if it didn't make sense by the rules of this world. And similarly, 
Martin Luther King Jr., who, again, so many of us are familiar with and with his famous speech, the I Have a Dream speech that he gave in 1963. Um, but again, that dream, that, that the speech that he gave was a really a, um, a speaking out of a vision that was aligned with God's kingdom, a vision where in a, in a kingdom where God says every race and tribe and nation and tongue will be represented in God's kingdom equally because in God's kingdom there is no male or female, slave or free. Um, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so he was living that out and he was bravely fighting for that. Now, both of these people saw God's kingdom and they saw that it was not being played out in this world and they acted on what they knew to be true rather than what they saw in this world. And it cost them. And ultimately, as unfortunately, neither one of them was able to fully see that dream, that kingdom dream realized in their lifetime. Uh, Susan B. Anthony died in 1906, 14 years before women got the right to vote. And Martin Luther was killed in 1968, again, long before many of the, of the changes and improvements for the civil rights movement happened. But ultimately, we still see the gap for women, for, for um people of color and for other uh, nationalities and minorities. And, and we still have the task as a church and as individuals um, to champion the cause of, of God's justice in these areas. And this is the vision because when we act like, like Susan B. Anthony, when we act like Martin Luther King Jr., God will produce fruit for his kingdom. Mark, Mark 4.20, which we talked about last week, says that, that we can be seed sown in good soil. And that happens when we hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Again, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And I know I've used a lot of, of big examples, like people chasing you know, civil rights and, and, and women's rights. But the truth is that we can pursue God's kingdom vision in all areas of our life. Uh, again, we went to the Global Leadership Summit, and we had that here at our church, which was awesome. And their big thing is that everyone has influence right where you are. And so for you, God may give you a kingdom vision for your, for your home and for your family and how to create that kingdom culture in your home. It could be as simple as for you recognizing Recognizing the, the uh, image of God in every person that you meet, regardless of their, their status or their, their gender or their age, and for you to treat them with dignity and equality. If for you, it could be something about work. You know, I, I have a friend here at Hope who at one point was in a toxic work environment where she was being asked to do things which went against what she believed and what she knew to be true in God's kingdom values. And she, she chose to live by those kingdom values rather than by, the, by the, the values of this world. And that's hard. But that was, that was a choice she made to allow God's kingdom to thrive and flourish through her. So we all have opportunities to pursue God's kingdom no matter where we are. And I want to encourage you that seeking God's values is not just about following rules. Right, because, because really, um, God, again, he made us relationally. He wants to walk with us. And rules can't save us. If they could, we wouldn't need God. Laws are about behavior control, but God's love is about transforming our mind. God isn't just interested in our perfunctory behavior change. He wants to, to renew our minds and hearts and attitudes and produce fruit for his kingdom. 
And the fruit of God's kingdom begins as we allow God to shift our perspective. Now, I can't give you a list of, of exact rules or, or ways. I can't, I can't teach you into changing your heart because that's the Spirit's job in our lives. But I can tell you about some kingdom shifts that we become aware of as we begin to seek and follow God. And for those of you who like to study more in depth, I would really encourage you this week or in the next month, month even uh, to study look up the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. In my NIV version, uh, the kingdom of God shows up 97 times. Kingdom of heaven, that phrase shows up 45 times. And you could just spend a lot of time reading about about this, um, where Jesus talks about the kingdom and why it's so important. And the more you read about his kingdom, the more you'll begin to understand what that looks like and what Jesus's heart is. But for today, I want to just focus briefly on a few kingdom transformation shifts. And these shifts I'm going to talk about are, first of all, that um, we receive God like a child. We receive God like a child. Also that death and giving up actually multiply life. And finally, we embrace this idea of slow growth. So I'm going to focus on these one at a time, and I'm going to start with this idea of receiving God like a child. Um, now, again, our culture, it's so interesting because kids, when they're, when they're young, man, it takes us some time to actually learn the culture of the world around us. Um, and kids sometimes seem completely oblivious to the customs and the rules and the cultures and, and the, you know, normal behavior, as we would call it, um, which is why we have to say, like, hey, you know, to my, to my one kid, like, people kind of want a space bubble. You can't be all up in their, in their face. Um, but again, we learn these things as we grow. But that doesn't mean that all the things we learn or absorb are good or healthy or true. And one thing I see in our world is that there is definitely this, um, we have this power hierarchy. We have this idea that in order to be great, you have to go up the ladder. You have to you know, get a, a better title, a better, um, a better job. You have to increase in your wealth or whatever um, the system seems to suggest that, that people that are influential um, are going up, right? But God says the opposite, that we have to, we have to become like servants. We have to become like a child. To be uh, to enter into his kingdom. Uh, I love Matthew 18, 1 through 5. It says, um, which talks about how Jesus' disciples were wrestling with this very thing, this idea of being great. And it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of the child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me. And so Jesus completely upended their view of who is great. And Mark 10, 13 through 16 follows this up. It says, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he, he took the children in his arms and he, he blessed them. And this passage says that Jesus was actually indignant that the people were turning the children away. And Jesus was not patronizing children here. He was not saying, oh, they're weak. They're, you know, um, you know let them come because, because, you know, poor things. They, they just aren't as, as strong or as capable as we are. No, God was actually saying, we need to pay attention to children. We need to listen to them. 
In fact, Matthew eleven twenty five, Jesus says, he praises God and says, um, I praise you, God, because Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And I actually think it's important for us as a church to stop and listen to, to what our kids have to say. So uh, this week, some children from Hope Church uh, joined me to make a little video of things they think about God. So let's take a minute and listen to that video now. I love, I love this. I love, uh, and thank you to all the kids and the parents who took their time to help create this video. Um, these kids, you know, you listen and some of it sounds so simple, that God's with us, um, that God, you know, I love how one kid said, God just wants us to enjoy creation. Um, but the truth is that these, these truths that feel simple, these ideas that seem uh, so basic, this is the heart of the Father. And God allows us to learn that through children. So the first thing about the kingdom is that we have to realize we really have to receive that like children. The second thing I want to focus on briefly is um, that in the kingdom, giving up and death actually multiplies life. Again, we refer, um, referring back to last week, we talked about how um, the, the desire for wealth or listening to the voice of worry in our minds, it always speaks to lack. It says we don't have enough. We, um, we aren't going to be able to, uh, to have what we need. But God says all, we have all that we need in him. And in fact, um, in the world, death and, and giving up, it's a sub subtraction problem, right? If I have one of something and I take one away, I have nothing. And that's how we tend to live if we're living by the world's rules. But in God's kingdom, it's actually a multiplication problem. And, and, and somehow God allows, when we give up something, he actually produces much, much more through it. I think of many parables that God uses, like the, the parable of um, um, the servants who he gives talents to. And they invest those talents and it multiplies or even, even the verse in Mark 4.20 that we talked about, when, when we surrender to God, he produces this crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. When uh, John 12.24 says when a kernel of, of wheat dies, it actually produces more life. And there's a story uh, that I think helps us to illustrate this idea of giving up in order to, to see more of God's life. The story of the ruler in Luke 18, 29 through 30, and this was a really wealthy young man, and he had so many things, and, and he encountered Jesus, and he said, what must I do to have eternal life? And, and, and God says, well, have you kept these commands? And you know, he said, yeah, I've kept all these commands since I was a boy. And Jesus says, well, there's one more thing. Go and, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor, and then come and, and follow me. And this sounds maybe a little bit harsh, but what God was really saying is, is you need to be willing to let go. And when you're willing to let go and not trust in your wealth and not trust in what you have, I'm actually going to show you that I can multiply, that I can, I can produce more fruit than you could ever imagine if you're just willing to let go. And I, I believe that this is the heart of God because at the end of this passage um, in Luke he says to his disciples, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. 
um, giving up these things is really painful. In fact, this is close to home. I know for my for my mom and dad especially, this is a, a hard verse for them to listen to sometimes because um, they made the decision years ago to move away from uh, from three of their kids up in Connecticut and move down to Alabama. And it's it's a painful thing to give up children, to walk away from family and live that far away. Um, and I would say for them, it's still painful. But I see them now and I look at where they are and God has multiplied um, their, their family, their, um, just their awareness of, of the culture where they are and um, their ability to speak into and understand poverty even. And, and God has done so many things and probably they won't realize just how much God is multiplying until they get to heaven. Um, but it's a powerful, powerful reminder to us that giving up, it may hurt, it may cost us something, but God will not fail to produce a harvest through our giving up. And finally, I want to talk about slow growth. The kingdom is, is often a kingdom of slow growth. We live in an age where, man, if, if it takes me longer than 30 seconds to microwave something, that's too long. Um, we, we are used to kind of overnight successes and, you know, YouTube sensations and people that just gain like 20,000 followers overnight. Um, and we often, what we don't realize, I think, is that we sometimes try to superimpose the world's values and the world's... Um, the world system onto God's. And so we start to think that if, if we are a success, if we're doing what we should be doing, if we're actually following God, then we should be seeing success immediately. We should be seeing results instantly. We should be seeing a church grow to 5,000 people. Um, and it's not that the growth or the success is wrong, but we have to understand that God's kingdom is often a slower process than that. We don't always get immediate answers or major changes right away. I was talking this week with a group of people um, who went to the Global Leadership Summit, and my friend Linda Reed, um, she was sharing about how she was praying right in, in her life right now and asking God, okay, what's, you know, where do you see me long term? What do I need to be pursuing? And, and kind of asking God to give her that vision, which was a, it's a, it's a good prayer. And yet she felt like God kept saying to her, I'm just going to give you the next step. I'm, I'm just going to give you the next step. And I think part of what Linda was experiencing is this idea that God is going to take her through a process. And yes, he's going to take her to this amazing place, but she may not know that right now. She's going to walk with him daily, and he's going to show her every step of the way where he's taking her. It's why God says we have to die to ourselves daily and follow him. God is a God of process, and this is also true in our lives, and it's why sometimes we may, you know, we may come to, to church and we may hear a message and we may be convicted about something um, like resentment or like anger or um, whatever it may be, and we may walk out of here and think, God, I know you want to change me, but I still feel like I'm holding on to this emotion, or I still feel like I struggle with this sin, and you know what, God God is a God who's going to bring you through a process of change. It's not always going to be this immediate shift. I know for myself recently, I've, I've been struggling with just all the uncertainty of COVID, uncertainty of fostering, and, and I was really looking at uncertainty as an adversity, as, as a negative thing. And 
I, I don't think I realized how much I was living in, in that um, survival mode. And then in the last couple of weeks, I feel like God has lifted some of that in my heart and that he's caused me to shift from looking at uncertainty as adversity and seeing it more as an adventure, as an opportunity, as an open space for him to create and, and this opportunity for me to trust that his plans really are better than my own. But I'm going to tell you, this has been like over a year in coming, this process that he's led me through. Sometimes the change is slow. And it doesn't mean that you're, that you're not listening. It doesn't mean that God's not working. Acts 14.22 reminds us that we have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's a part of the process. The trials help often to bring us to a place of dependence on God. And over and over in the Bible, and especially when God talks about the kingdom of heaven, he uses the analogy of plants or seeds and as we all know, if you've planted anything, it takes time. A plant takes time. It takes, it takes weeks and sometimes months to fully grow and produce fruit. But when those seeds produce the fruit, if we have a vision of the fruit that God is producing, it's a beautiful thing, right? He says the mustard seed is the smallest of the seeds, but it produces this amazing tree that gives life and shade to those around it. This is the vision of what God wants to produce in and through us. Hosea 10, 12 through 13 tells us, Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception. And again, this passage reminds us of what we talked about earlier, that it is very clear. It is easy for us to look and see the fruit of wickedness, the fruit of evil, and the seeds that grow when we listen to the world's values and the world's kingdom. And yet, God says, there is a much, power, much more powerful kingdom. And we, when we follow him, we get to be part of the plants and the seeds that are sown in that kingdom that, that grow up and overtake even the evil in this world. Planting and harvesting take time, but our daily yeses eventually yield to the fruit of God's unfailing love. And so I want to ask you today, I would encourage you to ask God to give you a vision of what your obedience will produce. Ask God to help you see a vision of what your obedience will produce, both here, both for you personally and here at Hope and Beyond there's something really important for us when we sit with God and we allow him to show us um, just a picture, a picture or an image or an idea of what, of what his kingdom can be like. And we'll know it's his kingdom because his kingdom is characterized by love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. When we seek God and he gives us a vision, it may not always be in the big dreams, right? It could be, God could give you a, a, a massive vision, but it could also just be the daily yeses. No vision is too small. So my prayer is that God's will would be done in your heart, in my heart, as it is in heaven. That God's will would be done here at Hope Church and in the larger church as it is in heaven. And I want to just leave you with Philippians 1, 9 through 11 as, a, as you go out today. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus.
to the glory and praise of God. God, thank you so much uh, for just your hope in our lives, that you have given us new birth into this living hope. And I'm asking, God, that you would give every person eyes to see your kingdom and eyes to see that your kingdom is stronger than the kingdom of this world, stronger than the evil that is around us. And I ask for each and every person, God, that you'd grow our, our obedience to you, that you would give us strength to say yes to you again and again. And God, um, I just ask more and more that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you. Amen.